This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being, being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. You can summarize shamanism up in the word relationships. It is your relationship to everything. Your voice, your body, your spouse, nature, literally everything. It is a way of being. It is a way of living your life. A way of seeing things. Shamanism at its core is all about relationships. Because of this, it is really not conducive to the approach of quick fix instant, swipe-on-an-app, Tinder-like experiences. A lot of people believe that shamanism is very theatrical, extremely visual, dramatic, powerful, sexy, and trendy. It is easy to get sucked into that illusion, and it is easy to draw people in using those illusions. But Makozi's approach, because of her understanding of energetic principles, comes from relationships with people, with food, with nature, with your body, and your spirit. Because she is a spirit shaman, she doesn't work with plant medicine. She works with energetics and with the spirit of things, since everything has a spirit. True relationships are what unfolds over time, and over time, those relationships are based in devotion. This is an important word for authentic shamanism. It is devotion to self and your spirit, not to something else. Rituals, tools, healings, etc. are just facilitators. They are just tools and processes. True transformation unfolds over time. Some of it can be instantaneous, but lasting transformation has to be integrated into your being and who you are. It takes commitment and discipline developing these relationships over time. Valeria Tellis interviews Makozi Najezir, the royal shaman, a human potential expert and spiritual ascension master. Makozi Najezir is an authentic African shaman specializing in personal development and energetic alignment. She is a human potential expert and spiritual ascension master. Mikozi helps create powerful transformations that amplify success, and she teaches individuals how to achieve limitless abundance through synarchy for energetic alignment. Through her groundbreaking modality, The Energetics of Euphoria, Mikozi teaches her clients and guides to ground themselves in the feeling of bliss, calling in the state of euphoria on a whim regardless of external circumstances. A fully initiated Sanusi, Zulu shaman, and trained in ancient Egyptian spirituality through the Dogon Mystery School, Makosi now works as a spiritual guide and authentic shaman to help serious seekers fulfill their highest potential, mindfulness and metaphysics mastery through her groundbreaking modality, the energetics of euphoria. Makozi works privately with highly successful individuals to create a potent pathway to a sacred and soul-fulfilling life. 
She's been featured in Refinery29, Entrepreneur, Pop Sugar, Business Insider, Authority, Nikki Swift, Thrive Global, and on KTLA5. Meet Makozi at theroyalshaman.com. Here is the interview with Makozi Najezier. In your own words, who is Makozi Najester? Mm. In my words, she is a shapeshifter, an oracle for conscious leaders, um, a spiritual teacher and advisor, as well as a a very typical mom, mm-hmm. wife, and friend. Before the interview, before we recorded just a few seconds ago, you talked to me about the meaning of your name. So I would love to hear that again, Makosi. Yes. Yeah, I think a lot of people don't necessarily understand the weight of a name, and it's so important. Um, so Makosi is actually a title that we're given, kind of similar after we graduate. Um, it'd be similar to like rece- receiving the title of doctor. So Makosi actually means king or chief. And Najezer is also an initiatic name, which is specific to the energy that I carry. Um, and it means the protector and advocate of the holy. Is that something that you chose to do for this lifetime within the form that you embody? Or this is something that chose you? Yeah, this is absolutely something I could never have imagined for myself. Um, I didn't I didn't choose this path. I really um, was called to it and just followed followed my own soul, my higher self or my spirit squad, as I call them step by step by step. And I I still walk that path where I I really don't know fully where I'm going, but I'm in trust of of self and of Mm. the universe. When you speak of calling, so this has been a calling for you. And I have heard from other guests, the same, a lot of shamans that I have interviewed, healers, even people who don't even use the title of shamans, they speak of, the, of this calling. So how do we learn to identify the calling, Makosi? Yeah, I, I truly believe that everyone has a calling and that our callings are specific to each of us and that there is literally no one else on this planet that can answer your call because it is a space that's meant just for you to fill. Only you and your unique gifts and experience and ways of being can actually fulfill that calling. Um, So the way that we discover our calling, number one, is to get out of our mind because our mind tries so hard to copy what it's seen before, but who you're here to be has never been before. So you have to rely on and lean on and surrender and submit to this deeper aspect of you that is pulling you towards the great unknown or what I call the void. It's the void because you, you don't know what is on the other side. And when you can surrender and submit to the process of that without expectations, right? I never had the idea of like, I'm going to become a shaman. Like that was not a thought. Or I'm going to become a shaman or I'm going to go down this spiritual path so that one day I can be doing interviews and helping 
conscious entrepreneurs and executives and like that was not a thing. Yeah. It's something that's unfolded naturally over time as I focused on my own self mastery. That's another interesting idea. I think we talked for a moment um, before recording self-development. Self-mastery uh, or personal mastery, I have heard that too. So th would you say that the process of answering that call is more of unlearning, undoing, or adding? Absolutely. No, it's almost completely a deconditioning process. Yeah. Um, when I look back at myself and I look at others who are, are really aligned and walking in their calling, um, most of us were being it when we were three, four, five, seven. It's really like kind of after the age of, of eight, some of us earlier than that, but it's as we're being conditioned to kind of fit into our parents' expectations, our teachers' expectations, the world's expectations of us, that we begin to morph and mold ourselves in a way that takes us out of alignment from who we really are born to be and born as. We, we, we come equipped with certain activations in our DNA that, that express themselves in certain ways. So to me, it's completely a deconditioning process. And not only is it a deconditioning process, the word self-mastery to me is even kind of um, a little bit of an illusion because that makes it seem like it's you doing it like completely by yourself. But shamanism really shows us and um, at least has taught me that the core of it is really relationships. Everything is relational, right? And so self-mastery happens in relation to how we interact with other people, um, the experiences that we have and how we're reacting to those and so on and so forth. Yeah, I did read on your website about relationships that it's interesting that you talk about it now because it is the introduction of this episode that shows that specific part of it. And it caught my attention. So I guess my question about that is when it comes to the mind and the conditioned self and body, it's always in relationship. It, it has built itself because of the relationships or the perceptions that it had of the world, of the external world. So I wonder how <clears throat> we learned to deconditioned through relationships, because this is how we became conditioned in the first place. Yeah. So it's interesting in our in our relationships, because that's the place where we got conditioned. Um, this is where we can if we become conscious and we become more self-aware that we begin to identify the places where we were conditioned in such a way that's no longer serving. So number one, conditioning by itself is not a problem we're all being conditioned all the time. It's, it's part of being human. It's not like a bad thing. It's when we get attached to a certain way of being or how we think reality should be or how others should be or how our life should be that then we bump up against It's almost like these prison bars that we've created uh, for ourselves. <laughs> so true. <laughs> and our higher yeah. self, our soul bumps up against it and is like, oh no, there's actually something on the other side of this that this is where we want to evolve. This is 
where we want to become more of ourselves and have more experience. So we need you to let go of this prison bar and it will manifest in our being um, as emotion, right? It'll, it will rise in us as either anger or grief or frustration or bitterness, so on and so forth, because our natural state is what I call euphoria or bliss or joy or happiness, right? So when we allow ourselves to get very aware of what is uncomfortable, this is why I, I kind of shy away from the idea of like, just do what feels good. I'm like, where, yeah. where uh-huh. are you not feeling good? <laughs> yes, true. It's so <laughs> true. Because because, that's, yeah. Yes, that's what's showing me a, a growth opportunity, an evolution opportunity to then lean into more euphoria or, or bliss. And this is a practice, isn't it, Makosi? Or a realization in time where, in your case, you have realized those truths. From that, it's just an embodiment of that truth. So I'm wondering if this is something that we practice, that we are looking for that embodiment, or it's something that's coming from the embodiment of this truth, which to me, it is the truth. Yeah, um, I think it can definitely happen either way. I think some of us are more uh, predisposed maybe to need the discomfort <laughs> yes. Yes. in order to be able to access that. Uh, True. But it absolutely is a practice. Mm. For me, um, so many people can get in like constant loops of, oh, I'm uncomfortable. I'm in, I allow myself to get in so much pain and then I evolve where if you become an active seeker, right? An, an active, uh, someone who identifies as and aspires to be conscious, because we can never be completely conscious, that's not a thing. We then allow ourselves, we're, we're actually open and, and accepting and honest and, and looking for those places we're hiding from ourselves. And when we allow ourselves to, seek that way and we grow without being quote unquote forced by circumstance or reality, right? When we choose it, we choose to then become embodied, then life gets very interesting and quite magical because now you're really stepping into your sovereignty. It's not just about, oh, I, in, in order to move through this stage, I'm, I'm being forced to change. Right, <laughs> it's, right. No, I'm choosing. When you speak of choosing, and I wonder who is choosing, is that the conditioned self, Makosi? Hmm. Is it the conditioned self? When I look at like the evolution of a soul, I'm going to say that most likely um, it's a both and situation where um, the soul desires in this um, incarnation to understand itself more that there's certain there's there's some of us who really are not here to be conscious this time around that we are really here to experience our animal nature to experience what it's like to be the victim to patterns so on and so forth and that's like part of that soul's journey and then as we continue to evolve then there are some of us who Um, Our spark at this time 
decides that it wants to experience what it would be like to be more conscious in, in a human form. And so it can choose certain experiences that present the opportunity for that. And this is what most people would refer to, right. As like their, their awakening event, right. The, the thing that happened that kind of opened the door to realization for them. So for me, destiny is um, both predetermined and also chosen at the same time. Wow. So you speak of the soul as um, it's almost as an entity separate from the conditioned self and consciousness. Is that what it is? Because it seems like we are multiplicity, aren't we? Yes. So many voices and so many interesting ways of experiencing this coming from different entities, it seems to me. So when you speak of the soul, that's not the same as consciousness. I thought it was actually. It's not the same. Yeah. No, to me, there are delineations. And uh, that's even why I talk about uh, having a spirit squad, um, which is kind of even separate than your, your consciousness and is also separate from your soul. So to me, your consciousness is the part of you that is behind you, right? It's, it's the aspect of you that is hearing your thoughts, right? Or um, seeing behind what you see. And the soul itself, in my perspective, is this divine spark that has descended down. Now, in some ways we could say this is connected to consciousness, And in other ways, we could say that it's something quite, quite different because it's so, so deep that it's very difficult for us to access and understand. And then we also have what I call your spirit squad, which actually would include those two aspects, um, as well as your ancestors, your guides, if you, you know, your elements, your, um, all of the energies that are influencing and shaping who you are in this life. When it comes to purpose, if life had one purpose, one purpose only, this human experience, what would that be from your perspective? Mm -hmm. To know thyself. Yeah. So in my perspective, this entire experiment, which is how I view this as being like uh, a great conscious, a great experiment of consciousness, essentially, where it, us, we, all of the, th all of the things <laughs> that will, be, um, where we entered into this great experiment where we wanted to know the capacity of who we are, what, what we are. And so through the process of experiencing what we are not, in all the different ways, we come to know thyself. And so to me, this human experience, this human experiment, this human school is all about um, experience. It's not really about knowledge as, as in like getting information, but gaining data and information through a variety of experience. And so To me, there's nothing more important than being fully human while you're human. Mm, yeah, yeah. And allowing yourself to have as much experience as possible 
while you're here. Yes. <laughs> yes, a billion times to that truth. Yeah, we are here to experience this humanness of what we are. Wow. I love that. I love to be reminded of that, actually, because we tend to forget, don't we? And then, yeah, no, we especially in spiritual spaces. We, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, in spiritual spaces, we can tend to really over glorify and kind of um, skip over and like bypass, especially those who, because I'm sure that some who are listening have never felt like they fit in. Um, and, and we feel like we don't belong here. Like we're from another planet. And so we, <laughs> tell me about it. <laughs> yes. Yeah. We want to like escape so much yeah. that we try to use spirituality, try to use yes. um, our understanding of energetics to kind of leave this human experience and quote unquote, become divine. And while that we want to hold the aspiration of evolving toward our divine self, we do that through being human. So we have to first allow ourselves to be human. There's very few people on this planet right now who are actually allowing themselves to be human. And that is causing all of this mayhem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then I wonder if there was a moment in time or in history where humans weren't natural. They just were so inviting, open to feelings and the humanness. Do you have a reference for that, Makosi, of a civilization in history that they were so open to life? Yeah. I mean, there's so many examples. And, um, you know, sometimes I, I, I think people might perceive that... Um, the ancient way is better. And I'm of a mind or I'm of a perspective really that um, to me, it's about what works. Like does, does it make sense to be out of our bodies and so analytical and logical, so on and so forth and suppressing this other aspect? No. Um, one example that I see the ancient Egyptians specifically you know, they even deified concepts, right? Concepts. So um, my, one of my other names, so I'm actually Makosi Hefisa Nejezer. So Hefisa, it, it means the god Saw or the god Sia watches over. And um, the god Saw is the concept of knowing, the the concept of intention before the word is spoken, right? And so they were so aware of these much more subtle aspects that, that make us up, that they even were deifying concepts that were not just aspects of nature. I, I would say Hinduism still does this in a really um, incredible way. I'm not Hindu, but... I think they're a really great example of this. And I would say really any of the ancient or indigenous spiritual systems, it's it exists in all of them. It's like the common thread. Uh, you mentioned earlier about names, the importance of names and your name and all. And I have seen that in shamanism where in other spiritual traditions too, where they are giving different names with powerful meanings. 
So how about most of us? Can we just uh, try, see, this is a concept, but can we apply this to our ordinary lives as non-shamans? <laughs> can we all of a sudden change our names? Like my name is now just Joy, and then I just change it <laughs> instead of... <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, you you can, right? <laughs> Why not, right? <laughs> you, you definitely can, and I'm not going to say, like, you can't do that. Um, and... Really, like from my perspective, everyone has names that they don't, yeah. that they simply just don't know. Now, when you go down a certain initiatic path, because of the path, it's required for you to have the name. Um, and that's because our names have a frequency behind them, right? Just like words have a frequency that is beyond the word, right? It's um, if I say bad, there's automatically certain things that start coming to mind when we use the word bad, right? And so you can say Makosi, and there's a frequency behind that, even if you don't know what it means. Yes, there's. it's not only calling something to you, um, but it's more importantly a reminder to me of who I am who my soul is here to be. Right. And so it's something, it's something to like aspire to and to constantly be um, aware. And so that's why with the name it, it's said so often, and it's like this constant reminder of who you're here to be. Now, unfortunately, um, most of us don't have, uh, we don't come from families or societies that have, practices that actually identify the frequency of the souls who are coming. So if we lived in more um, connected spiritual systems, when a baby's ready to come through, there's a priest or a priestess who's reading the energy of the, of the soul that's coming into form and saying, okay, this, this person is going to need this kind of name. Mm in order to be their highest self, really, right. in order to like fulfill their destiny, they need this name. Right. And so you would be named according to that, not, uh, not from your parents, because to do that is almost like, um, most parents name their children from their own ego. <laughs> so true. <laughs> My parents. Yes, sure. <laughs> yes. We're naming our children based <laughs> yeah. off of who we want them to be yes. and who we hope for them to be. And in worse, in some cases, we just name them absolutely absurd things <laughs> yes. like Apple. Um, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> oh, and yeah. so having some way of um, really connecting with the energy that it is that you came with, whether that's like through a tool like astrology or um, my favorite, I think um, Vedic astrology is really, really good. And, being named in such a way that aligns and calls on those core energies to, to come out of you instead of just choosing like who you think you are, or, you know, I can say for me, like when I received name, the like Najezer, I about like my mouth dropped and I'm like, wait, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Of the holy, what? Yeah. I would never have chosen that for myself. It's like a that's like a big pressure, a big weight and responsibility. Yeah. But 
it is something that I am constantly contemplating. And so having, having some support in that process, if you do feel called, you know, to um, take on another name, having support in that is, I think, really helpful. That would be amazing if yeah, mothers, parents, they would be open to that. So is that something that you already do? Because I love the idea of having a name that the energy is within us. It's already kind of inspiring that name to come through. And then it serves as a reminder throughout life of what we I don't to do that work. Like, yeah. I personally don't do that work. I'm, that's not my calling. Um, I do, though, know that there are definitely people who could do that, even here, who are so gifted in the reading of energy. You, you know, if you're someone who's like very gifted in um, understanding linguistics and, and also understanding um, energy, astrology, I think that, that that kind of person would be incredible at offering that as a service, hint, hint to someone out there. Uh, yes, uh, good, <laughs> good to know. So you are the royal shaman, human potential expert and spiritual ascension master. Talk to me about how you choose your clients. Yeah, what's the process on that, Makosa. Yeah, so um, there's, number one, there's very specific uh -huh. words that I'm using because there's a certain frequency behind the word that I'm using that's automatically resonating with a specific kind of person. And so um, number one, that's the first piece. As well as I'm choosing some of them by we'll say like spiritual or non-physical means. So <laughs> like, you know, um, connecting with them in dream time before they become a client or mm. sitting down and opening up the spiritual realms and calling in those who are aligned for this next level and presenting and creating in their, in the lives of all of us synchronicities and serendipitous events that kind of lead and guide them to me. I don't uh, seek out clients ever. Um, I allow them to come and, and be magnetized and utilize spiritual support for that to happen. Now, when I'm looking at if someone's ready, right? So there's, there's on the soul level, those who are called to come, then there's those who are actually ready for the kind of work that it takes. Whenever I work with people, especially in a close capacity, um, I require a lot. I require a certain level of intimacy. I need to know them on a certain level. And that doesn't happen. I don't allow in my spaces people who have uh, like this get rich quick or hit it and quit it type of magic pill desire of, oh, I just want to come and spend 30 days, take and leave. So I'm always looking for, and, and my team is asking questions around whether this is someone who number one, takes full responsibility for their life, because if they don't, then they're going to enter into this space now they've opened up the portal for, for evolution. Things start happening in their life and they're like blaming me for it. 
And that's not how any of this works. We're all sovereign beings. So I'm looking for, for the level of, of personal responsibility. I'm also looking for whether the person is ready to live in authenticity. I would say like 95% or 98% of people are living double or triple lives. <laughs> so, so true. Yes. And yes. I'm looking yes. for, because I only work with a small number of people closely, I'm looking for potential ripple of impact or what ROI, ripple of impact. People who are going to take the knowledge that I share with them, embody it, literally embody that, and then allow that to affect their business, their their clients, their audiences, so on and so forth. So it almost becomes this kind of uh, little little seed that's planted that then goes and and can feed many. Right, this per- one person is a is a seed that can feed so many. That can't happen if they are attached to staying in the closet, uh, staying in the social closet, right? Right, or not allowing themselves to uh, be seen for who they really are. Uh, yeah, that's beautiful. Though I love the part where you help somebody to become this messenger, the messenger and the message of love. <laughs> Of the truth, really, of what life is all about. I love that, Makazi. What a beautiful mission to have, calling to have. Thank you for, again, for being open to life. That's what it is. That's so beautiful. What else can I say? I also love on your website when you talk about things like the fearless unknown of life beyond accomplishments. The idea is not, as you said, is not to get rich or to be successful in every way. It's actually, it seems like you work with people who already have had the experiences in those realms. So now they're looking for something that is beyond all that. And so I also wonder, like from your perspective, because you are already embodying that, what is like to live in that space? Self-actualization, self-transcendence. I know you are also the messenger and the message, but for some of us who are trying to understand this more, even in, at an intellectual level, what does it feel like to be you or to be there? Yeah, I first want to make it very, very clear that um, number one, it doesn't have a requirement. Um, a lot of people think because I say it in a certain way, it means in order to be able to access this, that you have to have a certain level of success. It's simply a pattern that I've noticed that many people do not begin to open up or have these realizations um, and, and also don't have the same level of value for what it means to be authentic, like true authenticity. Because really enlightenment is about authenticity. That's, that's really it. But And some people will value it, but it's very difficult to value it completely until your basic needs are met and and also your esteem needs. Like you have a community, you maybe have some, some level of notoriety, quote unquote, notoriety, at least within your community. There are some souls though, that have come who get it without needing to have that experience. So I don't want to limit it, yeah, but yeah. 
um, for marketing purposes, <laughs> yeah. you know, I, I have to talk to, yeah. to some, the, the ones that it makes the most sense to, and, yeah. and the ones who will value it the most. And will also kind of serve as like this beautiful Trojan horse of mm-hmm. consciousness for humanity. <laughs> uh, it sounds so diabolical, but it's really this yeah. kind of beautiful intention behind yeah, it. I know. But what is it like to live, you know, I have a client, um, he's absolutely incredible. He's um, a wonderful storyteller and he's also a, a, an expert in gamification. He's in the tech space and he's been kind of like chronicling his experience since he's entered in my container. He's like five months in. And um, recently he's been having these amazing breakthroughs where things are happening. It's a very magical it's a seemingly magical way of living where um, you are drawing in things for yourself that you didn't even think were possible. So that's why I talk about it being life beyond accomplishment, because in order to accomplish something, you have to be able to think about it, right? You have to be able to imagine it. And so you set the goal from your mind of what you believe is possible, what I'm in the game of and what I and a master in is the stuff that you can't even imagine that you desire, but your soul desires it and it comes. And so because of that, it will, they, things begin to happen in this flow, in this kind of seeming, it seems magical, but it really is not. It's very practical. Um, it's, it's very embodied, right? If you are, um, for example, uh, I, I consider myself a speaker. And so because I see myself as the identity of speaker, I make certain decisions. I decide to prioritize interviews like this, right? And so then because of that, people will see me and hear me. And there's an energy behind that is an alignment there. And that will speak to those people more than my mouth can say I'm a speaker, right? And so when we come from this place of embodied identity, when we're in alignment with the identity of who our souls here to be, we naturally magnetize what it is that we desire. This is, I think, the greatest misuse of the law of attraction. Most people, and I will say mainly because the law of attraction was kind of mainly presented from the masculine point of view. And so of course, from the masculine point of view, it's going to be like, we're going to do this so that we can get this. (laughs) We're going to do this to get the million dollar business or the flashy car or whatever. And that's how most people approach law of attraction. But really the best use of it is when you detach from the getting. And now you open yourself up to receive whatever it is that your soul wants for you to receive quote unquote good or quote unquote bad. It's your soul. There's neither of those. We see it all as uh, experience. So when we open to that, that's when now there's space for the magic and the magnetism to happen. 
the energetics of you, euphoria. Like, I love some of the ideas behind that I read on your website. You actually offer some of the steps too, and you talk about emotions a lot. So with this, we'll end the part where I ask questions about what you do, Makosi, and then I'll ask you my final questions. So talk to me for a moment about the energetics of euphoria in its relationship to emotions. Yeah. Um, so first little foundation piece. Um, most of us, when we use the word euphoria, um, we automatically go to the idea of ecstasy, right? Or um, we take it to an extreme. Even now, if you if you do Google it um, or open up a dictionary, it will say something around extreme pleasure, right? Extreme um, happiness. But the original meaning, which is the frequency that's seated in the word, is well-being, and so to me, when I see well-being, because I um, I have a science and math background, I'm oh. <laughs> numbers and pattern-oriented. Um, if I would look at it on a scale of one to ten, to me, well-being is like somewhere in that seven or eight realm. It's it's not just neutral; it's like positive neutral, right? But it's not an extreme positive, because to any nature-based <laughs> spiritual system, either extreme is death. Either extreme is destruction. Drink too much water, you drown, right? You don't have enough water, you die of dehydration. So either extreme is death. So when we're looking at the energetics of euphoria or the energetics of well-being, right? Our natural state, like I was saying before, our natural state is euphoria. Our natural state, you see, if you see a baby, right, they don't need a bunch of stuff happening externally to just be happy. They, that's their natural way of being. It's only when something happens, right, that then they're taken out of that, which is, you know, maybe they have a dirty diaper or they're hungry or like something like that is taking them away from that. So that feeling that they're feeling in their body right? It's it, the, the indicator light is the emotion, right? It's the emotion that's giving indication to, hey, ding, 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 we're out of alignment here, right? And so by being aware of what emotions are coming up without being reactive, most of us um, get either reactive or stuck, in emotions. We don't, we don't move them, but they're supposed to be energy in motion and they're energy in motion because there's something there for us to release, let go of decondition away from detach from that. When we do that allows us to be in more euphoria. And so I have kind of sat and observed, um, Really, there's four stages of ascension or four, four stages of, um, of growth. The, the first stage is, is that victim stage where your happiness is completely dependent on your external circumstances. And so you feel completely disempowered. And then you awaken. Something happens right? Or you have this moment of realization and you start awakening. Um, 
And this is where you become aware that I'm the creator of my own life, actually. And so I just want to create what feels good. And this is kind of like the premise of new age spirituality. where It's follow what feels good, which at state at this stage, the second stage, it, it works. It, it works well because now, you know, I don't have to be uncomfortable. I can just follow what feels good. Then we have some people who realize through the following up of, of what feels good, they realize, well, I'm actually abandoning like half of myself. <laughs> I'm actually suppressing or rejecting the 50% of me that doesn't feel good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. This is a very small number of people who then are like, actually, I want to lean into what doesn't feel good. Right. Because I, I want to accept these aspects about me that don't look pretty and don't look good. And, um, you know, I, I tell my son, I'm, I'm not a good person. None of us are. <laughs> none of us are good people at all. Um, and none of us are bad. We are both. All of us are both. And so I really mainly deal with people who are like either – they're aware and they're like following what feels good, but they also recognize the value in, okay, I actually want to explore what doesn't feel good. And when you're open to that, that's the only way that you can then move into the fourth, which is called enlightenment or um, really the next stage of where spirituality is going, which is authenticity. It is the realm of both. And it is the paradoxical where, for me, it expresses itself as like being both um, both a warrior and sensual at the same time, being funny and pretty at the same time, like things that people think don't go together and encompassing it all, embracing all of it in an embodied way. So I have a few more questions for you, the ending questions. Before that, would you like to add anything else that we didn't cover? Um, the thing that actually is popping up to me um, is just a little bit around um, the importance of, if anyone visits my website, they're, they're going to very clearly see <laughs> this massive snake. Oh, yes, um, right. That's, that's amazing. <laughs> Forgot to mention. God, I'm afraid yeah. of snakes. So I was like, oh, no. Yeah, so um, get, I get lots of questions about the snakes. Are they Photoshop? No, they're not Photoshop. They were real. Uh, they're real. Real snakes I took pictures with. Um, but also the symbolism of the snake and the importance in this in this transformation, um, in these four stages of transformation I just spoke about. The serpent itself is representative of rebirth and transformation and healing, right? And and wisdom, the ultimate truth. So in all of our ancient systems, maybe not all of them, but at least the ones I've come across, um, you see the symbolism of the serpent with the teachers, with the, um, with the gods and the goddesses associated with wisdom and transformation. Because what this is demonstrating, this is why deconditioning is so important. This original idea these serpents of knowledge had to do with the quote unquote dark aspects of us overcoming 
the dark aspects of us, accepting and resolving. It also has to do with the subconscious, right? The unseen realms, the what is taboo, so on and so forth, and shining light on those. Where now most of us have a fear of them because there's, number one, this innate knowing that, Mm -hmm. okay, in order to be reborn, I have to die. (laughs) The serpent is symbolizing that death, (laughs) right? Yeah. Um, But also because many of us have been so conditioned around um, the serpent having to do with evil. And it doesn't. The original meaning, the original frequency that is there um, has to do with the highest truth and with ultimate transformation and spiritual transcendence. And so I just felt called to share that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm glad you did because it, it caught my attention. And because, I mean, I love animals, but this is one kind of animal that it's, I would not try, I would not touch it. <laughs> so um, is that connected, Makosa, somehow that I am um, kind of, uh, I would not touch a snake. Maybe I could, but um, I don't know. I felt a little... Like, wow, how does she do that? That's incredible. Is that a mirror in a way that something in me is still kind of rejecting some parts of me, the darkness in me? Maybe, right? It's not necessarily. Maybe. I, I can't know. I mean, no one knows better than you know you. But whenever I look and I notice that, like, I'm, um, I'm afraid of something or I'm rejecting something, there, there is a potential for me to explore in that direction that, well, wait, what is, what actually is it about this? Um, and for many of us, the serpent, um, is connected with our, with our sensuality and our sexuality. Right. And many of us are disconnected from that in such a way, but that's our creative energy. That's our ability to innovate and to, um, bring life here And part of why we have so many issues around um, like hypersexuality is because this is a chaotic energy, but we're only allowed to express it in our bedrooms. Um, And some of us are are like suppressing it even there. Right. Um, And so just being aware that it does actually connect to multiple things. And where, where is that pattern? showing up. It's a common thing for people to be afraid of, um, of snakes. The more open to life I become, the less interest I have in extra sex. It's just not something that is, uh, it's almost like it's something that's not a calling, obviously, but it's, I know it has to do with embodying the, the being here now. And, and of course I enjoy it with my husband when we have sex, but it's not something that, um, I'm thinking about. I don't think about sex. So I think about other things, talking to you here today, it was exciting and my, my mind is just into these things. Oh, I think, um, I think it's just, there's, we could literally have an entire episode about that. So we, I won't go so far into that, but I think um, there's a lot to, a lot for all of us to like really explore. I think I do, I do see as we become open to life, open to creative energy, um, that we don't become as hyper-focused on sex, right? And so sex is just one avenue that we get to experience our creative energy, that one avenue we get to experience pleasure. But like for me, wearing 
my favorite red lipstick can feel as good as sex <laughs> yeah. or, or, you know, eating yeah. a delicious mango mm. can be yeah. as good as sex for True. me. True. And, um, and so it's allowing myself to mm. like, without shame or mm. apology, yeah. um, eat my dessert and moan <laughs> in pleasure in a restaurant yeah. <laughs> if be, yeah. um, by allowing myself to just be open to my innate mm. access to that energy. Yes. Yeah. So it goes back to being open, right, to everything, the way it is, how it is right now, being present to what is present. I heard that before and I absolutely loved this idea of um, just being present. So my last question to you is, what are three things you wish everyone to experience before they lose the body, before they die? The first that comes to mind is uh, I wish for everyone to experience the euphoria in dissonance. In spiritual spaces, we we really seek what is resonant and um, the growth happens in what's dissonant. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and yeah, allowing ourselves like to feel the euphoria in that mm. dissonance that's happening um, instead of like just suffering through it. Right. That's one. Um, just the, so the, for the second one, I would say um, being open to allowing life to be play. Mm, yeah. Um, for me, <laughs> I'm playing like all day, <laughs> yes. every day. Oh. Humor is a part of yeah. <laughs> most moments with me. Um, and <laughs> we don't, we don't laugh enough. We don't tease and joke and just like gleefully play. It, it brings me back. I was in Egypt just a few weeks ago with, with some of my conscious entrepreneur friends. And I was wearing this belly dance dress on the cruise. It was like, it was Egyptian night. And uh, me and a few of my friends, we were up on the deck and then we were coming down and my dress was jingling <laughs> and we started singing Christmas songs <laughs> and being the, the jingle bells. Yeah. And we just had such a good time being just like, Five. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that. <laughs> and then yeah. the other, mm, I wish for everyone to experience um, pure devotion. So a lot of people talk about the importance of commitment. Um, but to me, whenever I think of commitment, it's, it's like this, I should do this or I shouldn't, I shouldn't do this because I'm committed. It almost becomes like another prison we create for ourselves. But devotion is when we are um, taking actions from a space of love, right? So it's, I'm, I'm not cooking dinner for my husband because I have to. I'm cooking dinner for my husband from a place of devotion to our relationship, uh, from a place of love and, and approaching yourself that way, like a devotion to self, a devotion to your own pleasure, your own joy, your own evolution. Mm. It benefits everyone. So <laughs> everyone wins when you do that. Yeah. 
Yeah. Ah, I love that. Coming from a place of love. I love I love your wisdom. It sounds very natural. Yeah, it's elevated and it's fun. You're a lot of fun, because <laughs> listening to you, it's a lot of fun. Thank you so much again for being who you are, what you are, doing what you do. Thank you. And before we say goodbye, where can we find more information about you, your services, products and future projects? Yeah, the best places to find me these days is either my website, which is theroyalshaman.com or on Instagram at theroyalshaman. Wonderful. I'll have your website on the podcast profile too. Thank you so much again and we'll talk soon. Bye for now, Makosi. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Makosi Nujezir and her work, please visit theroyalshaman.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.